Third and 14 from the 40. Travis has the ball, has the snap, looking right, caught Coleman, makes a man miss, 25-20, leaps over a defender, 15-10, and down near the seven. Are you kidding me, Keon Coleman? Dance on him, young man. After a 66-13 route of Southern Miss, the Knolls hurdle their way to number three in the polls. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there on the other side of that dial at 89.7 FM WVFS Tallahassee. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk. That's the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. Thrilled to have you along here on this Monday night talking all things Florida State. We will have Jack Oliaro with seg seminal segment at the midway point and a reminder that new release is coming up at 8 o'clock. So we'll tell you about the football game against Southern Miss, a big win for the Knowles on Saturday. We will preview their game against Boston College coming up this Saturday. That could be a weird one, maybe some weather involved with an impending hurricane. So anything that you need to know, we will uh, get you that. And then also a very exciting week of college football in week two all around. Teams that maybe will appear on Florida State's schedule or maybe could take on the Seminoles in some sort of postseason capacity. So everything uh, from that point we will have as well. A reminder, you can call us up. We would love to hear your thoughts. Be a part of this program at 850-644-1837. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at V89Sports. Or a thank you to Jeff Colhane and the Seminole Sports Network uh, Seminole Sports Properties as well, the call that you heard at the top of the show of Keon Coleman hurdling a man. He did it not once, but twice. And what a uh, star he is becoming right in front of our eyes here in Florida's capital city. But for William Haynes here, as we do every week, passing it off to our co-host, Jackson Bakich. How you doing, man? Well, first of all, I'm doing all right. But first of all, I just want to say every week, your intros just get better and better and better and better. And I might add better. Uh... Just, it's always great to be here, and I'm excited for this Florida State team. They have a great schedule in front of them. Well, maybe not for viewers, but for a, for a path to the playoff, and I'm excited to, to preview kind of uh, the, the BC game coming up and maybe some games later on down the road. Yeah, we haven't talked about it really at all, but I did want to bring it up. You're a busy man. You've recently taken up a post as the new sports editor of the FSV, which is the, uh, the student newspaper here at Florida State. How has that been? Have you gotten any uh, calls or, or texts wanting to come on other student radio shows uh, to preview an upcoming game against FSU? Uh, I feel like that's more more people need to do that. Not as of yet. And I think we've kind of started a great tradition there in terms of, you know, V89 and WVFS, uh, Tallahassee. But uh, no, not yet. But I'll tell you what, this job has been incredibly rewarding. Um, just being able to, to really dive deep into FSU athletics every week. And I have a great staff with me. A great staff of writers, a decent amount of them, are, are in this radio station as well. They come to work every week, and they want to work. I, I'm just blown away. Um, you know, we, we're blessed enough to have enough writers uh, to allow people to have some time off, and um, we kind of give people that, that opportunity. And, and every week, uh, all of our writers are going, no, we want to write this week. You know, we, we, we want to we put in work. We want to cover these teams because that's what they love to do. It's what they want to do. And uh, I just I can't speak enough on them just how proud I am so far this is only our, our third week and uh, well, our fourth week we'll be doing our fourth article here on Sunday but just incredibly blessed uh, to, to be able to lead them every week and um, it's been great so far can't can't talk enough about it 
make no mistake, audience, you've got a couple of uh, titans in the Tallahassee sports media landscape joining you every Monday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. Obviously led by my humility there, but <laughs> moving off to the panelists to my right, we've got a great group here tonight. want to start with Justin Pollock, who was on this program last week, did a terrific job, and we're thrilled to have him back again. You were also perched atop the press box at Doe Campbell Stadium, so you got a bird's eye view of a 50-point uh, win for Florida State. You were in the, the postgame presser, so you were plugged into everything that was happening. Tell us a little bit about that, and uh, thank you as well for joining us here tonight. Yeah, it was a great time up there. Uh, got a great view of the new LED lighting system, which I don't think anyone expected. Even some of the players in the postgame were like, yeah, I didn't even know that we had that this year, and they were thrown off by it. And a lot of oohs and ahs in the press box. Uh, I really like it, but uh, very excited to talk the game. A lot of cool stuff learned from being up in that press box. So, yeah. Awesome. And as well, rounding out the crew, Alex Rivero making her semester debut, another one that we're very excited to have in. You're uh, now an FSU grad student, right? So mm -hmm. we'd love to hear about that. And also, I know you are very proud about your Orioles fandom and uh, I guess a little bit of baseball talk here. But as a race fan, I, I haven't enjoyed looking up at the, the O's in the standings. How have they done it? They have 90 wins with 20 to play. An unreal season that they're having. But, yes, again, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be back for this semester. Um, you're right. I am a grad student this year. I'm with FSU's sports management program. I can't talk highly about it enough. I think it's just given me so many amazing opportunities, working with so many established individuals in the field. I am just so grateful, and I'm so so excited to learn. And Yes, you're right. My Orioles have been doing fantastic this season. I am so excited, but I don't want to get too cocky because we still have a lot of games left. But I really want to see Adley, Gunner, McCann, all of them in that playoff, in that postseason, and I'm so excited. And Alex, I would be remiss in, in also mentioning, you know, you're also a writer uh, at the newspaper with the FS View and yeah. the sports section, and so we're we're very we're very happy to, to have you along for the ride as well. And uh, you've you know in your first store you you made it to print, so thank you. Um, you know you've done an incredible job so far, and we're also very happy to have you here at, at V89 as well. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be back. I can't wait. Again, call us up 850-644-1837. Your thoughts on Florida State? They're the number three ranked team in the country. This is your time to tell us how excited you are about them. And now two and zero after a big win over Southern Miss, 66-13. to Again, the final score is the Noles roll. They didn't even play basically any of their starters uh, for much of the second half, and they still put up points even more than they did in the first half, as a matter of fact. Who would have thought? I mean, exactly two years ago, Florida State had lost to Jacksonville State, an FCS team. You know, granted, one of the best FCS teams that year, and they're now in the FBS, but who would have thought two years ago today, to this day, Florida State would be the number three ranked team in the nation. You know, it's really crazy you say that, Jackson, because I was actually looking at my Snapchat memories today and I saw my reaction, my friend's reaction at that Jacksonville State game. And to just see myself now on a victory Monday with us being 2-0 is just there. I've seen so much growth and just maturity with this team. And I'm really excited to see the rest of the season. And a, a little bit of an anecdote. I was covering that game. It was my first time ever covering a game in the press box for VD9 Sports then the radio station. And I haven't been back since. That's you know, I, that's kind of my uh, my my bad mojo trying to you know trying to keep the bad luck out of Dope Campbell Stadium. And it's kind of worked so far. Florida State's been pretty solid at home since then. Um, you know, you have the loss to to Wake Forest, 
But this team is special. I, you know, Jimbo yeah. Fisher said in 2013 that before the season that his team was special and they went on to win the national championship. I think this is the best team Mike Norvell has ever had as a head coach. And, you know, we'll go into it. But this team is just special. Yeah, you heard the knocking on the wood there. You have to. 300 yards for the Knowles in the first half. They maintained the ball for 21 minutes. So that, that was your look at the starters on Saturday. And really, if we're being honest, the Garnet and Gold didn't have to take the field because Southern Miss was uh, much content on just beating themselves. 11 penalties, much of them of the pre-snap variety. At one point in the game, they had back-to-back plays getting called for an offsides because they had a player lined up in the neutral zone. So uh, certainly with that roster, didn't stand much of a chance, but not when you're beating yourself. Like I said, it, the score was 31-3 to when halftime came around. Mm-hmm. And really what was the major storyline of that first half was guns blazing was Mike Norvell, Jordan Travis, and that offense as a whole. Five fourth down attempts for the Seminoles in the first half, and then an onside kick after a touchdown, I believe, that led to another score. So they were just really piling it on. They were taking deep shots. I mean, you look at total in the game, they ran for eight yards a carry, so they could have just run it down the Golden Eagles' throat, uh, but they wanted to do more than that. Kind of like we previewed, they wanted to get those backups in the game early, but let's start here. I was shocked with how aggressive they were to begin the game. And yeah, and and, and despite throwing the ball deep a ton, uh, and not really running the ball as much as people assume they would. Florida State really was was able to keep the time of possession for so long due to those fourth down decisions, and obviously converting them. They were four or five on fourth down. They weren't necessarily great on third down though, and I think um, that's due to two reasons. First of all, a lack of execution on third down, also combined with the preconceived notion that they were going to go for it on fourth down. We didn't see this type of aggressiveness against LSU. I think that onside kick was also just a practice for special teams, kind of a, you know, a why not? They're, the the opposing kickoff team is not going to be, you know, expecting it. Norville, though, believed, though, if, if they didn't get the kick, that the defense would be able to hold up. So I think, you know, if you're going to try it in game, why not then? It does. It did seem a little unsportsmanlike, maybe 14 nothing. It's not crazy unsportsmanlike, but, you know, had they done it up 40 there would be a lot of probably pundits going for for Norvell's head there, but it was kind of head scratching, not necessarily in a negative way, just kind of a huh, you know, I don't know how else to put it, but uh, a very interesting game that Mike Norvell called for sure. I think a good comparison for the way he was coaching this game was he was coaching this game like a little kid playing Madden. Yeah, you know, always going for it on fourth down, doing onside kicks in the middle of the game. If I was Southern Miss, my controller would have been shattered at that point already and PlayStation thrown out the window. So definitely feeling for Southern Miss there. Uh, but, I I mean, it was a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So I'll give them that. Yeah. And I think it's funny how you mentioned that because I feel like that's exactly what I was thinking also when I was watching the game. And another story that I saw a lot of the broadcasters kind of mention a lot of time Um, throughout the broadcast was the whole issue of the fourth down conversions and if Florida State was capable of doing it. And I feel like there was kind of a misconception, or at least that's what I understood it was, because they kind of connected the unsuccessful fourth down conversions to being afraid to attempt those fourth down conversions. And I think that those are two completely stark and different comparisons, um, comparisons, excuse me, because 
you can be afraid to um, commit and attempt those fourth down conversions. And then you can also not be afraid and actually try to attempt those fourth down conversions and be unsuccessful. And I think Florida State in the past has, yes, been unsuccessful, but they have not been afraid to make those fourth down conversions. So I think that just understanding that we have a team that's not afraid to be unsuccessful, but they're going to go ahead and try anyways. And that's what's been proven. And they were successful this time around. They put it up on the, the broadcast, Alex. You're right that they were basically one of the worst, like bottom five in FBS as far as percentages converting fourth downs last year, about 35%. The important thing to note about that, Florida State went for it on fourth down more than just about any team, and your exactly. odds of making those aren't necessarily great. And if you look at their three losses last year, there was a couple of fourth down calls. It did make your make you scratch your head a little bit, but at the very least, and we've seen it, you know, trickle into this year as well, certainly with the Southern Miss game. It's part of their identity. It's what Norvell wants to do. I very much agree with you, Jackson, in saying trust the defense. Mm-hmm. Billy Wiles was horrible. That The Southern Miss team had no chance of moving the ball. So if, if your goal was to just be up 28 by halftime no matter what, you can go for it on fourth down. And against uh, not a great Golden Eagles defense either, you saw the magic that Travis was able to create I think it was that fourth and five, and Lawrence Toafili coming up big was just a pass blocker on the play, but he saw Travis was in trouble and just got there for the outlet and took it to the sticks. And then on that fourth and ten, Justin, you talk about uh, you know playing the video game with the controller. Travis just scampering around for ages back there. Uh, you know he could have studied for his first exam with how much time he was taking back there in the pocket and well, was, he was able thirty to, yards from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and it was able to convert on that fourth down. And then there was another one on fourth and one near the red zone that, of course, you like their ability to just push the pile and get through. And I think that was the play where Benson just found a big hole and just took it all the way to the end zone. So certainly during the circumstances of this game, you can't really knock them for it. Uh, Like I said, it's part of their identity. It's what they want to do. The onside kick was surprising as well, but that only works when you catch them by surprise. And that's exactly what you did. It was that old uh, Pat McAfee style where you just kind of uh, squib it 10 yards little bunt yep bunt play is what they call it uh so it worked out to their favor uh, i don't think there's any there's any worry about bad sportsmanship or anything like that it's football you're lining up trying you know if you don't want florida state going for it on fourth and 10 just beat them and southern miss didn't do that and it was clearly important for Norvell to get the depth in in the second half that he did. He said after the game, over 100 players on the roster got into the game. I didn't even know that was possible. I didn't even know you could dress that many players uh, for a home game. And they, they got basically everybody and their brother into that football game. There's a lot of freshmen on this team, a lot of uh, high recruits that they want to get playing time, and a lot of seniors. The big story in this offseason was all the the players that decided to come back for an extra year. Well, this is their last go-around as far as eligibility, so there's going to be a lot of turnover. And so a big part of this season, not just winning games, but winning them handily early so you can get that depth into the game. So that was really the, the most important part of this game. The Seminoles did it, so give them credit for that. Now taking a look at a couple of... Uh, reasons for concern, if you will. Johnny Wilson uh, continues his tough start to the season. By my count, I had three drops from the tall receiver in just the first half alone. I did not realize until Norvell talked about it today, uh, Wilson was in street clothes and out with an injury for the second half. So you count his uh, two drops against LSU. He's now dropped five passes in his first six quarters of football. And while they haven't uh, come back to bite the Knolls yet, 
the feeling is with how disastrous those can be that it will at some point and want to have the conversation where we're at on Johnny Wilson. Clearly, Jordan Travis continues to put his trust in him, as does Norvell, calling his number on a, a lot of deeper passing plays. But how concerned, kind of rate this on the scale for you about uh, Wilson's performance at the moment? Well, first you ask, you know, can he be trusted in big moments? It seems almost as though he can only be trusted in big moments. When we take a look at the Louisville game from last season, as well as the Florida game as well, I mean, Johnny Wilson was your go-to guy making the, the marquee catches that needed to be made. However, you can argue during that NC State game, drops were the reason Florida State lost. Um, maybe not the only reason, but I would guess the marquee reason. Um, I mean, that was basically why the offense stalled against that NC State team. But to answer your question, yes, in big moments he can be trusted. But if you consider every moment to be a big moment, then the jury's still out. I mean, if that's one of the reasons the offense is not firing on all cylinders because you can't catch the catches you need him to have, then he might be necessary to, to catch that one-on-one that -on -one ball later in the game that he didn't need to catch you know, if you were you know, up by 14 or 17 later in the fourth rather than, rather than three or seven. So jury's still out. That's how I'd answer that question. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that. Like, catching, like, extravagant passes but not catching, like, a five-yard slant. In the dog days of the season, like, later weeks, that's really not going to fly, especially if we're going to get into some close matchups into the trenches. If you're dropping those short passes, it's going to count as a like a big pass or a big play. And, and I'm not going to argue that that Florida State got lucky against LSU. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But you can definitely say they got away with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had you had a, a drop or two from Jaheim Bell as well. Uh, he had another drop in the game uh, on Saturday. They're getting away with it. I'm not saying you know they, they are definitely beating these teams. I mean, when you beat LSU by what was it, 21, that's not a fluke. It'll never will be a fluke when you yeah. beat somebody that that good. Exactly. And but they, but they are getting away with it. And at some point, if you if you're going to compete with the Texases or the Georgias or the Michigan or the even the Alabama defenses, you can't have drops like that. Yeah, exactly. And we're, if we're talking playoffs, we can't be having any of that on the team whatsoever because that's not going to fly. Yeah, I guess I can agree because I guess for a lack of a better term, it was unsettling to watch those like those drops. But you also have to put into like retrospect last year, like we depended so heavily or Florida State football depended so heavily on Johnny Wilson that now this year when he has like new transfers and new athletes that are in the team that are almost at the caliber that he was last year. It's almost like he's almost taken a step back to see how far and how like advantageous these new athletes can go. But you can't only depend on one athlete. The reason why there's multiple of a certain position on the field besides the quarterback is because you need more than one player on that field because there's so many different scenarios that can happen at one break. So I, I'm i going to give him maybe he was just a little rusty. He's just trying to warm up to the new season again. But I think Boston College is going to be the, defi the defining factor on whether or not we can depend on Johnny Wilson in the coming the future of the, the season. And that was more or less what Mike Norvell said uh, today in his press availability is that it's there for the taking for Wilson and it simply just has to get it cleaned up. And, and you guys have said it exactly that he makes all the, the, the difficult catches, the jump balls, things of that nature. But when he's wide open or on the sideline, I think sometimes when he's got a defender bearing down on him, he hears those footsteps 
and it slips through his hands. I don't want to really play head doctor here, but I think the most obvious connection that you could draw is Keon Coleman has been the biggest star, not just of his position room, but of the entire football team. And Wilson was far and away clear-cut, not just the best receiver on the team, but but probably one of the best receivers Florida State had in the last greater part of a decade. Mm-hmm. So he was the star last year, and now maybe Wilson is being overshadowed a bit. And when you look at dropping wide-open passes, it's a mental thing. I was there in fall camp. He, d- he doesn't do that in practice. It's really just the game situations. And so we will see in Boston College because if that continues into a Clemson game or a Miami game, who knows what other games on the schedule could pop up and being close late, we'll just have to see. Kentron Portier stood out to us as a potential breakout. He's been injured really since the end of fall camp. Darian Williamson made a couple of catches, and they've got some freshmen that they're working into the rotation. But right now it's really just Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Now looking at the injuries, and Wilson is included in that, we don't know for sure that he's going to play against Boston College. And joining him on that list of questionable players, Marie Smith and Robert Scott on the offensive line who did not play at all against Southern Miss, and Darius Washington, the super utility offensive lineman, getting just his second start at center of his career. Kind of looked like slow-pitch slow fastball the way he was uh, uh, snapping the ball back to Travis. So could have been better. I will say Robert Scott at left tackle, as great as he's been for Florida State, Bless Harris has been amazing. He was uh, the ACC lineman of the week against LSU, and I thought he played well on Saturday. And then as well, Akeem Dent, who has moved to free safety, looked like a really tough non-contact injury cutting on that knee. Uh, We haven't heard anything yet, and obviously they keep that under wraps. Uh, I I can't imagine he would be back this week. Looks more long-term to me. They've got some younger safeties behind him that might come into play. Obviously, these injuries don't move the needle for Boston College. But let's say these four players, Akeem Dent, Marie Smith, Robert Scott, and Johnny Wilson, are unavailable against Clemson. How worried would you be? Well, I mean, Norvell said in the postgame presser he was going to be cautious with those guys. I think deep down, this is, this is uh, conjecture. This is, you know, a, a guess, a speculation. But I think if they were playing Clemson on Saturday, all four of those guys would be playing. If I had to take a guess, maybe not Akeem Dent, but I think if I was just guessing, that I, I would think those guys would have been playing. You know, we've talked about it. Pundits have talked about it. If there is a weak spot in this roster, it is the depth of the secondary. So, you know, hopefully Akeem Dent's able to return, or at least for the Clemson game. But there is a decent amount of depth in the other areas, especially in the offensive line and wide receiver. I think a guy like Hakeem Williams could take over uh, for Johnny Wilson's spot. Maybe not provide that uh, that deep ball threat that allows Keon Coleman to, to be in man coverage. And who knows, maybe maybe teams will start doubling Keon Coleman instead of Johnny Wilson. But still, with, you know, 6'7", and I'm going on a tangent here, but still at 6'7", that deep ball threat's still prevalent. And he, he shows he can make those those back shoulder fade catch, fade catches, excuse me, so... I don't expect teams to, to go off of the double, especially in the red zone with, with, with Johnny Wilson. But I think in the areas, and you also, like you mentioned, Kentron Portier, Vandradius Jacobs as well, those guys can step in and, and fill the role for Johnny Wilson, need be, especially from, from you know, the 20-yard line to the other 20. Now, once, once you get in the red zone, that's where it's, it's a little bit of a different story. What's nice is despite 
these injuries, our offensive line has stayed pretty intact. Mm-hmm. And in like in sixteen, seventeen, those teams, their offensive lines were a big part of the reason why our offense couldn't really do anything. Uh, they were constantly getting breached. James Blackman, DeAndre Francois, both those quarterbacks couldn't really didn't really have time to do anything because defense is immediately getting through. But it's so refreshing seeing this offensive line, even with injuries, be able to hold up for Jordan Travis. Yeah, I think if you give DeAndre Francois the offensive line either the 2013 team had or of this team, I think DeAndre Francois would be better than Jordan Travis. And that's no disrespect to Jordan Travis. I think he's a great player. Obviously, he's a Heisman candidate. But DeAndre Francois had maybe one of the most live arms I'd ever seen. And, And he had to do it practically on his own. You look at that Clemson game in 2016, that offensive line was atrocious. Yeah. So, exactly. Um, if it wasn't for that crushing injury in the Alabama game, yeah. I feel like he might have been able to do something. But yeah, that yeah. was just a, a lot of what-ifs. Yeah, it was terrible. want to talk briefly about the second half of this football game and give some of the youngsters their due credit. Oh, yes. If you had to pick one underclassman that uh, stood out to you, who would it be? Well, I don't know if you consider uh, Rotomaker an underclassman. But, I mean, he couldn't have had a better game. Uh, he went for three for three with two touchdowns. I thought he was a, uh, a bright spot, especially looking forward to next year. Other than that, I thought, I thought Brock Glenn looked very comfortable in the pocket, especially in his decision-making. The, the moment didn't seem too big for him. Another guy that I love, obviously, and I mentioned him earlier, Vendravius Jacobs, I've been very, on hot, her, excuse me, very high on him since the spring game. He made his presence known with his incredible athletic ability to be able to push the ball up the field, make cuts, and obviously score a touchdown. And then maybe the unsung hero of the night was Hakeem Williams and his dedication to blocking. I mean, he was moving other men against their will 20 yards down the field. Uh, it was very impressive to see. And th- those are the kind of guys I think, especially if this program is to succeed in the future needs. Uh, Coach Mickey Andrews said way back in the day, you have to prepare next season's team this year. Yeah. So I think with a lot of the kind of blowouts, especially in the second half that Florida State will have, that will allow – a quote-unquote dynasty. I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but if you're looking for a recipe to a dynasty, it is getting those guys a lot of playing time at a very high level, not just in practice, and allowing them to play under the lights, to see who's who's available to play under the lights and not having to guess week one of next year. You know, kind of piggybacking off of you, um, Jackson, I remember I was watching an old podcast of Tom Hawk talk a couple of days ago, and I remember I was dogging on Tate Rodemaker and how I couldn't think he could perform under the stadium lights. I just want to say I take that back completely. The Tate Rodemaker I saw on Saturday is a Tate Rodemaker I've been expecting to see since he got here, and I'm so glad that he's finally shown up and shown what he's been working on in practice. That 42-yard pass was beautiful. I was screaming. I was so excited when I saw that. And I'm really excited for next year. And one person that I was also really surprised was A.J. Duffy. I know he didn't perform at the highest caliber that we were expecting, but I do see the growth and I do see the maturity that can happen with A.J. Duffy. And I'm really excited for that. Justin, who you got? Um, I really like what you said about Hakeem Williams. His blocking has been so good, especially even in the LSU game. I feel like that kind of got brushed under the rug a bit with Keon Coleman's performance, but... He was laying down blocks just like Southern Miss game. Um, also, Brock Glenn, I would say, is probably who I'm most impressed with. Even though he 
really didn't get a lot of time. The plays that he was in, you really he, you could feel his presence. They were so the creative. Pocket. And in the post game press conference, Norvell said he kind of just, uh, just let Brock. <laughs> I'll say this: he let Brock cook, <laughs> and he mentioned something along the lines of that in the press conference. How he just kind of wanted him to, kind of take command and do what he wanted with that offense, and clearly it paid off. I will go to the the linebacker grouping. Because the the two starters right now are seniors, Tatum Bethune and Kalen DeLoach. So next year there's going to be a new pair, and DJ Lundy certainly could be part of that. But Omar Graham and Blake Nicholson, a couple of freshmen, got a lot of playing time last night. I didn't think they looked outstanding, but just like Jackson said, just give them those game reps. Blake Nicholson was an incredibly high recruit. And, and he'll certainly be there, just a true freshman season for him. So that's a position group that has been weak uh, generally during the Norvell era, has been better this year. Uh, but they'll have to keep that up after some of those guys uh, depart. What we will do now here at the midway point is go to Jack Oliara with Seminole Segment. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. I'm Jack Oliara, producer of Tomahawk Talk, and making my return to the tank. Now able to see all of your beautiful faces and yours as well, William. But without further ado, it's now time for Seminole Segment, relaying the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics midway through the show to catch you up to speed on what you may have missed. We'll start out in the always beautiful Jacksonville, Florida, where the Florida State soccer team began their stretch this past week. After rattling off two road wins and taking down South Florida 5-1 in the home opener, the team hit the road for a midweek showdown with the North Florida Ospreys, and the Seminoles wasted no time as only six minutes in, Jody had a nice 1-2 with Taylor Huff that allowed Brown to be one-on-one with the keeper, and she curled away for the opening goal. Oni Etchigini was able to score just out of halftime to make a 2-0 before freshman Jordan Dudley drove past defenders, laid off a superb assist to Jody Brown for her second goal of the game. Oni maybe thought, anything you could do I can do better if you get a brace? I'll get one as well, as she struck a goal into the top of the net for a 4-0 thrashing that marked, also coincidentally, the highest attended game in all of North Florida's women's sport history. Kudos. The Knolls also took I-10 back to Tallahassee for a Sunday afternoon showdown with the Florida Gators. Florida State had the opportunity to make it six straight wins over the Gators and hadn't lost to them since 2015. The sweltering, act- the sweltering afternoon came and the rivalry kicked off at the Seminole Soccer Complex with the Knolls in superior form but unable to capitalize on chances. The screaming header off Jordan Dudley was the closest they came to a lead in the first half. An interesting note about FSU is their second-half prowess of their 13 goals in four games. Only three, count them three, have been in the first half. They used their second-half superiority as they increased the pressure, and Beata Olsen picked out a lovely ball to Jody Brown's path, and she unleashed a powerful shot past the keeper for the lead in the game as the Seminoles took a 1-0 win over Florida and now hold the largest, largest win streak in the rivalry's history. They'll ready themselves for a huge top-10 showdown at Clemson this Friday at 4 p.m., which will be available to stream on ACC Network Extra. From the pitch to the court, where the Florida State volleyball team looked to pick up some momentum in Orlando. After cruising through the opening weekend with three sweeps, FSU found some trouble at home as they were swept by SMU and lost to Auburn by two sets. They took on Samford this past Monday, and they swept them, but they are looking to steady the ship on a more consistent basis as they faced UCF in North Texas at the UCF Invitational. They got it to a rough start with a three-set loss to UCF before overwhelming the Mean Green of North Texas with a three-set victory of their own. Kiara Roby had four timely blocks and a couple of aces, and this win now marks head coach Chris Bull's 900th career win. 
He is only the eighth head coach in D1 history to accomplish this feat after his time with Arkansas Tech, Arkansas State, 14 years at Arkansas, and now year 16 with the Seminoles. The side will now host the third-ranked Florida Gators at home tomorrow at Tully Gymnasium, with first serve set for 6 p.m. and available to watch on the ACC Network. Uh, after that, they will make their way to Fort Worth, Texas for to, ba- to battle UC- um, sorry, TCU on Friday at 7 p.m. on ESPN+, Plus before rounding out with the Saturday afternoon game against Hawaii at 1 p.m. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. William, you are clear for liftoff. Oh, thank you, Jack. Very nicely done, as always, with Seminole Segment, and it was terrific to hear from you about all things going on outside of the football team. The one hour that we have kind of constricts us a little bit, but uh, covering a really uh, historic football season, if we're being honest, but important not to let those other teams get out of sight as well. Terrific athletic department for Florida State. No matter what you like, there's always something to go and see here on campus. But still continuing with the football talk a little while longer, we have a game to preview this Saturday up in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, as the Knowles will take on the Boston College Eagles. The line has moved down, surprisingly enough, and maybe uh, involved in what we'll talk about in a second. But Florida State currently favored by 27.5 points, so a lower spread than Southern Miss. Uh, the over-under is 56. Normal temperature is the projection up there, but Hurricane Lee, which is coming later this week, possibly this weekend, is uh, currently charted to go to that part, uh, I guess, of the world. We'll see kind of where it ends up. It's always so hard to project those. So just keep in mind, I'm not predicting it, but this game could be played in, in hurricane-type conditions, just looking at the, the seven-day forecast. It or just in said. Tallahassee. That's I true. hope so. That would be awesome. The forecast just saying, yeah, there could be some hurricane-level rain and wind. So that, that would definitely change the outcome of that game, particularly if you're looking at the total and the spread. And we'll give you our picks here at the end. The, the thing that you need to know most about Boston College, they've already kind of fallen flat on their face to begin the season. They had the two gimme buy games, if you will, where they pay a lower tier FBS or FCS team to come in and basically lose in a blowout uh, way to Boston College. And it hasn't gone that way at all. Boston College lost to Northern Illinois to kick off the season in overtime. And last week, just a three-point win over Holy Cross at the FCS level. So really things have looked dire. And when they're going up against the number three team in the country, uh, that looks like quite a lopsided mismatch. We'll start here. First question about this game uh, with what you've looked at. Is this a harder game or easier game for Florida State compared to Southern Miss? They will have to go on the road. Well... I think Boston College is probably a worser opponent, but you know it's in Chestnut Hill. It's a noon game. You know I used to work for the Florida State football equipment team. I Ring know the I, bell. I see. Yeah, we got to we got to do a uh, kind of like a swear jar, but <laughs> but instead of that, it's just every single time I, I mention that. But when you play those noon games, those players they have to be up at six seven o'clock in yeah. the morning. It's not like you know you just show up to the to the stadium at. You know, ten thirty. Yeah, ten thirty, and just you know, put on the pads and go play. I mean, it, it's a, it's a pretty hefty process. You have to wake up, and you know, the the teams are in the, in in the hotel doing walkthroughs again. They're actually in the hotel ballrooms on carpet, in you know, doing walkthroughs. It's it's actually quite funny to watch, but I think just the factor of that included. You know, it is an ACC opponent. It is a conference opponent. I think Florida State will, well, I think. They will look a lot better. Granted that the Boston College Eagles, or excuse me, granted that that Southern Miss 
that Southern Miss game was over by the second half. I think Florida State will rise to the occasion. I think they'll they'll play a lot better. They have to be able to establish the run game early. They didn't do that against Southern Miss. They didn't need to. But I think against a conference opponent, you want to showcase that you can, especially to your team on the road. Yeah. You want your guys to know that that you know they can kind of do whatever they want in terms of you know on on their field presence. I think when it comes down to it, the drops will will be better. I don't think they'll have the drops that they had last night or last two weeks, really. And I think Trey Benson's going to have a monster game. Yeah, I very much agree. Uh, in the post-game press conference, all the players that were speaking were heavily emphasizing that we have not, Florida State has not played their best game yet. I think uh, one of the players, that's a direct quote, um, but most of them have all been like, they're just getting better. Every game, it's just they're getting more comfortable. So I definitely see each game, I could definitely see this being much easier of an opponent than Southern Miss. And Boston College's record already is showing that it's going to be yeah. easier than Southern Miss. But given the current environment in the locker room and with the players, I am definitely excited to see what goes on in this game. Yeah, I guess... I, I like that the Florida State football players are saying that they haven't played their best game yet, but I don't want FSU versus Boston College to be Florida State football's best game to date. Yeah, I hope not. Too. Yeah, like, like, I mean, yes, I do think it's going to be an easier game compared to the Southern Miss matchup, but it is our first in-conference matchup of the season, and we're away from home. So I don't want them to get too comfortable, and I don't want a repeat of the Jacksonville State fiasco that they were just – oh, it's fine, it's a lesser, um, less intimidating team, we'll be fine, and then it's where we get blindsided because it's Boston College, but then again, it's Boston College. They're in the ACC for a reason. We can't just overlook them and start looking to Clemson or the other um, opposing matchups that we have this season and forget about Boston College and the task at hand. One thing I will throw out there, Boston College considered up there with all the venues in the ACC – as like one of the weirdest, quietest places to play, particularly at noon. Wake Forest on an off year is included in that. When a big team like Florida State or Clemson goes in there and they're used to those big crowds and there's no noise coming from the stands and you can hear the other sideline talking, it's it's hard to kind of get the energy ramped up. It doesn't feel like a normal football game. So there's a weirdness factor uh, from that angle. But when you compare them to Southern Miss, Boston College kind of has a, a mess on their own hands. A quarterback controversy of sorts, if you could put it that way. Emmett Moorhead played down the stretch at the end of last year and played really well, and he had a lot of buzz coming out of camp and was the starter in the first game against Northern Illinois. Threw only 10 passes in that game before he was replaced by Thomas Castellanos, more of a mobile guy, can run around and maybe higher upside, but he's more erratic, and he's been playing since... Uh, the end of that uh, Northern Illinois game and played the entire Holy Cross game. I mean, Jackson, say it with me. If you've got two quarterbacks, you've got none. Correct. So that is, is certainly an issue. And Boston College, they're a wreck. They were 3-9 and nine last year. Jeff Halfley, the head coach, now 16-21 and 21 up there. This is probably going to be his last season. They lost to the Knowles in Tallahassee 44-14. to 14. That was a game that included a Trey Benson kickoff return for a touchdown to begin the game. Uh, I'll kick us off here with the score predictions. The weather, I think, could be weird. The situation could be weird. I think 
Florida State could score 70. I have 45 to 10 Knowles, so I still have them covering the spread, and that would that would be right under the total at 56. But I think Florida State is going to maybe toy around with some things on offense to get ready for the Clemson game. I think that's where some of the focus is. Not that you're looking ahead, but that you might not just – you don't need to blow them out as much as let's get everything right. And maybe if Johnny Wilson is playing, they try and get him involved to get some confidence up, maybe get him a long touchdown or something along those lines. And I think the goal, again, get the backups in on the road in a conference game, that's a big deal too. So I'll take 45-10 Knowles. Yeah, I think it's going to be another blowout. I think, you know, I think Florida State will be a little more conservative in the beginning. I think the starters will be in a little longer. I also think, you know, just it being a road environment, Florida State will be a little slower out of the gate. However, I think in the second half they put it on, and especially in the third quarter. We talked about, you know, the middle eight, how good Clemson was in the middle eight. I think Florida State at the end of the second quarter, excuse me, and in the beginning of the third, I think they could very well score 21 points within those eight minutes. I'm going to go Florida State 56, mm. Boston College 7. I know last week I went a little crazy, <laughs> but I was almost right. That's true. Okay, I was yeah. almost right. I'm not going to go crazy this week. I don't know. I mean, it might be. But I think 65 to 10 okay. is a safe final score. They lay the gas on at the end. Yes. Yeah, so I think it's going to be another Florida State dub. We know this, or hopefully, knock on wood. But I do think that due to the quieter fan environment, it is going to be a slow start. And also giving the the weather issues that are circulating around this game. Um, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game, so I'm going to give it a 35 to 12 ratio. I'm with you there. I think it, it might, a uh, good shot, it's lower than people expect. I think that's why the line is is lower. It's crazy to say, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, how far they've come, but that we're talking about a 27.5 point spread and going, oh, that's, that's kind of low. I think Florida State is going to roll more than that. Uh, and and I, most of the schedule, the rest of the way out, is, is going to look more or less like that. I, the Knowles will be a decent-sized favorite at Clemson a week from now, I would have to imagine. But uh, with all the Florida State talk, want to take a look at some of the other games that have gone on in college football. It was a really good week, too, if you missed it. We'll start with the game that was going on uh, pretty much at the same time as the Knowles win over Southern Miss, and that was the Longhorns of Texas going into Tuscaloosa and knocking out the Crimson Tide 34-24. to This uh, snapped a lot of streaks and runs for Bama. They uh, snapped their 21-game home winning streak. It was the biggest active streak in the nation. Also, 43-game home streak against non-conference teams. Now, granted, Bama doesn't play very uh, tough games non-conference-wise, and Texas will be a conference opponent starting next year. And that was only the third uh, former assistant of Saban to ever beat him 28 and 3 now is Saban's record against his assistants Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher being the other two so for uh, Sarkeesian puts him in pretty solid company for Texas their quarterback Quinn Ewers didn't play for much of the game last year against Alabama with an injury he came with a major chip on his shoulder and he was terrific he showed off that big arm they were talking on the broadcast he's down a little bit of weight so he's more mobile 350 yards and three touchdowns with no turnovers. He was great. That Texas offense uh, was too much for Alabama to handle, and I think 
Alabama playing sloppier football than usual, a lot more penalties than you would expect from a Nick Saban-led team, as was the case last year, 10 penalties for 90 yards. They couldn't tackle in the open field. I felt like I was watching a different team. It did not feel like Alabama, and they lose by 10 at home to Texas, and now all of a sudden the Longhorns shoot up into national prominence. Alabama, not so much. This was the game of the week. There's lots to unpack with it. Yeah, I actually, I was, you know, at the Florida State game. It was actually kind of funny. We got to the stadium at around 8 o'clock. Kickoff was 8.30. Thinking I was going to get a pretty solid seat in student section. No, I was at the very top of the brick. The very, very top. The very uh, I was the third row down from the very top. And thankfully there was a hospitality box that we could kind of peer into and see the Texas-Alabama game as it was going on. So in between plays I was trying to watch. and But, you know, I was able to, to catch up later on. You're right. I mean, just it looked like Texas finally has the athletes, not only, you know, just with with high recruiting rankings. They finally have the athletes to, to compete on that long ball. They finally have the athletes, especially in Quinn Ewers, to be mobile and find different ways to make first downs. And tackling was sloppy. You're right about it. I do think Alabama would definitely – Give Florida State a game. I'm not saying Florida State would, would definitely beat Alabama. That's not what I'm saying. But this Alabama team is solid. I think they, they met their match with Texas. I think Texas really has an opportunity. We Both you and I predicted them to go to the Final Four. So, or excuse me, to the college football playoff. Pardon me. So I, I, I think Texas, maybe not back yet. I think the playoff would solidify them being back. But... They certainly gained a lot of believers on Saturday. I think uh, the college football world learned, if you want to beat Bama, get a quarterback transfer from Ohio State, and you're set from there. Joe Burrow being one, Quinn Ewers this year. Is there another one in there that I'm missing? Uh, I feel like Ohio State has had like hundreds of quarterbacks transfer out and be great elsewhere. I guess a testament to how great the Buckeyes have been recruiting Alabama lost a couple of games last year with Bryce Young having some Heisman moments. So I, I think maybe nationally we were kind of late on this, Alabama not being as good. I, I had them in my, my playoff conversation. The quarterback position is a little bit a cause of concern for me. Jalen Milroe looked a little bit overmatched, only completed about half of his passes, and he was – run first maybe more than you would like texas's defense was terrific they beat alabama up front the tide three yards per carry on the ground and uh, the the secondary was good behind them as well i don't know if miller the guy there was a controversy for them going into the year they had tyler buckner the transfer from notre dame who was with tommy reese in south bend last year reese now the oc for alabama so they may look at making a change to get usf next week and if you have two quarterbacks you have none. That's right. Let's you know if we said it once, we've said it a million times, and so I think Alabama could be in trouble. That SEC schedule is always a grueler, and for Texas to finish this discussion off, when you look at the schedule on paper, nothing really jumps off at you. But it has always been the case for Texas. It's just a schedule full of trap games. They have you know Texas Tech that could give them trouble. They've been awful against TCU as of late. You have Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, me and Jackson, we ha- were on Texas from the beginning, but I guess I'll go to you, Justin and Alex, seeing what you saw. It's a really tough place to win. I'm, I'm not going to say is Texas back. That's kind of obnoxious at this point, but are they are they there to really compete for the big one this year? 
Yeah, I guess that's always the question when a team starts performing really well is that if they're really back. But you also have to just start shifting at their at their opposer. Alabama really walked into that game just very casual, very much like this is a practice scrimmage. They weren't really out for blood. They weren't there with intention. And you can tell that Texas was there to dominate, to try and attempt to beat Alabama. And I think that's what kind of was the underlier uh, the underlying factor in this game was the fact that Alabama was too confident in their skills to actually perform on the skills that they should be confident on. That's a say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what it was. They were just too confident in their own skills to actually realize, yeah, we still need to work hard because it's like that saying talent, I mean, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I think that was a true testament to that saying in this game. And when was the last time you could ever say that about Alabama? It was strange. Nick Saban, not much urgency really on the sideline or after the game. It was a, a weird optic, to say the least. And I'll finish it off with this. Florida State, Texas in the Rose Bowl for a trip to the national championship game on the line. That sounds pretty good to me. That would be one heck of a football game as well. And it's still very possible Alabama can win out and face an undefeated Georgia team in the ACC championship. And all three of these teams, Texas, Georgia, and Alabama, could still very much make the playoff. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen at this point, just the way Alabama looked. But in the eyes of the committee, yeah, they, they, they lost at home. And, yeah, it was by 10, you know, double digits, whatever, one point away from single digits. So, it's you know, you can say double digits, and it means two completely different things. But I, I will say this Alabama season is definitely far from over. Yeah, they'll have to, they'll have to play Auburn. They'll have to, you know, who's had an okay start with Hugh Freeze. But... You know, don't write off Alabama just yet. Nick Saban is great after losses. Nick Saban is obviously one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest, for good reason. So don't write off uh, the Crimson Tide just yet. They've got to get their quarterback situation figured out. That is true. A team down in Coral Gables who definitely knows who their quarterback is, the Miami Hurricanes, led by Tyler Van Dyke, Tyler Van Spike. Tyler Van Dyme, whatever you want to call him, he played great on Saturday. They beat uh, the Texas A&M Aggies 48-33. to Things looking rough for Jimbo Fisher and his new-look team as they're bounced out of the top 25. But for Miami, this was one of the, the surprises of the weekend, no doubt, scoring nearly 50 points on a defense, against a defense that was loaded with five-star recruits. And we know about uh, all the, the money bags A&M has been passing out the last couple of years. But for, for Van Dyke, again, 2021 burst onto the scene, had an off year last year, was injured, if you'll recall, against Florida State. Really shouldn't have even played in that game. Tried to work through an injury and just couldn't do it. He looks healthy right now, and really for the first time under their head coach, Mario Cristobal. It was an interesting game. Miami did not start off well at all. They had a blocked punt. They fumbled the punt return. A&M was up 17-7. to in this football game, and then all of a sudden you blink and Miami scored on four of five drives and dropping touchdowns all over the place. Van Dyke nearly 400 yards passing, over 12 yards uh, per completion and five touchdown passes with no turnovers. A&M disappointing. Miami looked great. Which one are you buying into more uh, from this game? I, uh, I'm going to give some honey and some vinegar to, to Miami. First of all, to answer your last question, I'm, I'm buying into Texas A&M not being as good. And I think, you know, we, we look at that team last year. I don't necessarily think they've improved a ton uh, personnel-wise. 
They still had a questionable guy at quarterback. It's not like they were having, you know, a, a, a top 10 or even a top 10, 20 quarterback uh, as their field general. So when you look at it from that perspective, this is a team that went 5-7 and seven last year that really, in the eyes of many, didn't get better. Yeah, the recruiting looked good. but And you add Bobby Petrino, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically going to be better. So I will say Miami did look good. They looked very physical. Miami looked like they were trying to tackle through guys, not just tackle them and get them down. And I think Miami really does have a shot to compete with Florida State in Tallahassee. I think that's a game Florida State fans need to stop riding off immediately. This team looks a lot more focused. This team, this Miami team looks ready to play. They looked a lot better fundamentally. Granted, special teams, which really hasn't been a problem for Miami in the past. They've had a great punter. They've had great punters and great kickers. I think that'll get sorted out. Not too worried about it. But at the same time, my, I think Miami fans were acting like this was their Super Bowl, yeah. and it wasn't. Texas A&M. Texas is not yeah Texas eight and four maybe Texas four and eight for a reason. Uh, I don't know how familiar y'all are with Texas A&M's pregame rituals, but I'm curious to see how the midnight yell went because I don't know if y'all remember when they lost to Appalachian State, but that went kind of viral for their kind of roast before each game. I haven't watched the one against Miami, but I'm curious how it compares to. How Florida State fans talk about Miami. Mm. And you would think A&M would learn their lesson yeah. after that yeah, last year, right? I don't know. Having a roast of the opposition. Had, had its rounds on the internet, but we'll see. And it, it wasn't a good roast either. It was no, bad. No, it was awful. It was bad. It was awful. Yeah, and that Tyler Van Dyke that we saw at that Texas A&M game is, I think, night and day comparison to the Tyler Van Dyke that we saw play last season for the Hurricanes. I think he's really taken this time in the offseason and in the fall camp to really develop his trade and his skill. And... If he keeps on continuing to play the way that he's playing, especially that Texas A&M game, I think he's a very equal matchup to Jordan Travis. And I think that that, that game here at home is going to be a huge dogfight. And I'm really excited to see that matchup on November 11th. It's definitely the game that stands out on the home schedule. It was in the preseason, but even more so now as the Hurricanes climb into the AP Top 25 Again, Van Dyke at least three passes of more than 50 yards. It was not just the passing game, but the deep throws. And Van Dyke can make them just about as good as anybody at this level. It's going to be really interesting to see where they go from here. It's a a relatively mild ACC schedule, as is usually the case. I mean, before they play Florida State at the very end of the season, they'll have to go to UNC. They'll be home against Clemson. So maybe a couple of chances to trip up, but... They see themselves as a team that can compete for the ACC title in the first year that divisions go away. Kind of ironic when Miami had all those chances to win the Coastal and really never could. But with Miami reasserting themselves, and again, Texas A&M may have another losing record, so it's not a huge deal, but they are 2-0 and they do look good. Where does Miami rank for you on FSU's remaining opponents this year? I think it has to be number one. Over Clemson. Yeah. On the, yeah, okay. I, I, I think Clemson looked, like I said, looked very, excuse me, I think Miami looked very physical. I think, you know, that, that rivalry game is always, always a dogfight. You know, granted, regardless of uh, the last two games played in Hard Rock, they were complete blowouts on both ends. But rivalry games are weird. And I know Clemson is considered a rival as well, but it's, it's a lot more personal in the state of Florida. I mean, national championships used to run through the state of Florida. 
And and that history is prevalent. It's real. It's not something to look over. And I'm not trying to overreact here, especially before, you know, just two weeks before the Clemson game. But I think that that, that Miami game is a very solid chance to be a one score game either way. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make it a tie up at the up at the top with I agree. Duke. Oh. I think Duke is something that a lot of people are overlooking. Yeah. Especially after they pretty much killed Clemson. I I don't I think Miami could definitely be dangerous, but we have to get past a Duke first. It's fair. I think that my number one spot for the most difficult games that are left for this season would have to be Clemson and UM. A game played in Death Valley is really hard. It's called Death Valley for a reason. And Miami this year is out for blood. They're out to um, fix their name and make sure that people have put respect on it. And it's, again, like how you were saying, Jackson, those in-state rivalries are just so embedded with just culture and history. And I know one of my proudest moments was I changed my dad from a UM fan to an FSU fan. So, I mean, he's going to the game on November 11th, so we're both excited to see that dogfight. And I am just really excited to see them dominate because – Yes, I loved that game at the Hard Rock last season, but this this is a different U Miami team. Yeah, yeah, good for him for him you know to be able to to go to that game, and it should be should be a great one to find the light. That's an important thing. I'm in agreement with Justin. I think Duke is a lot better than people uh, give them credit for. I I would put Duke and Miami in a tie, but as far as I'm concerned, the hardest remaining game on this schedule at Clemson in two weeks. What is Mike Norvell's signature road win at Florida State? It just that's basically the one thing to me that hasn't been proven yet. The game against LSU was basically an FSU home game, so it'll be a big one in a couple weeks. We'll preview it next week. Well, if you if you consider, yeah, if you sorry, real quick, if you consider the Orlando game a home game, you can also consider New Orleans a road game. So I, I would say the New Orleans game, but I, I agree with you. He hasn't had a true road win uh, as signature. I think the best one really is UNC a couple of years ago. But that's the only one I can think of. And we'll have a, a guest from Clemson in some capacity to preview that game on next week's show, next Monday, 7 o'clock. We would hope that you'll join us for that. But for myself, William Haynes, my co-host Jackson Bakich, our panelists tonight were Justin Pollock and Alex Rivera, our great producer as always, and with seminal segment was Jack Oliaro. Uh, you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.